what's sort of the word, you know, being kind and and open whilst also being assertive and, you know, establishing that level of of that boundary mm. to ensure that he wasn't abused because he, he did end up being abused a bit by other people who were throwing stones at him. Mm. I think that's a thing that struck me that I don't necessarily think that we discussed when we both first talked about it the first time around because mm. I think the sort of main message I guess is well for that I took from it the first time I read it was that you can act in compassion and kindness and generosity and you know you can you can practice meditation and and cultivate all these qualities but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are this sort of pushover that you know is is a very gentle sort of quiet character Mm. I think that um if that is yourself by nature then that's fine but I think also you know there's some very I know like we don't need to go into the whole debate about introverts and extroverts now but Mm. there's some very extroverted sort of loud gregarious quite dominant characters who do also meditate Mm. and I think you know meditation doesn't sort of turn you into this quiet um almost like yeah timid person feeble yeah like weak it's not a weakness in fact I probably am biased but I see it as a massive strength because Mm. if you can train your mind you're not going to be so pushed around by your mind Mm. um and actually I think something else that came to me after reading it the second time was that um about like the self-compassion and how you know you you need to we we want to obviously be compassionate to others and to the planet and to sort of to all beings Mm. but where does that compassion start and I think we've talked about this before you know it always has to start with the self Mm. and you can't you can't really offer much compassion for anyone else if you lack compassion for yourself yourself. to start with exactly and so with the snake i guess you know great that he he stopped hurting others but in doing so he he very much started to hurt himself Mm. and i think we need to remember that we want to give compassion to other humans but we also are a human ourselves absolutely um and that's not selfish in fact it's actually the most selfless thing you can probably do because by by offering that wisdom and kindness to yourself you are essentially creating a stronger foundation for your services to be provided in a more compassionate way for others Mm. um so yeah there's quite a few messages aren't there from the story 100 percent, yeah and i think the more you read it the more you'll probably realize there's even more messages and there's probably people listening who may uh, you know have thought of things mm. that we haven't touched upon at all or interpreted it differently because I think that's the thing you you all interpret different things like that differently don't you depending on mm. your own life experiences and absolutely and that's mm. why they are great little short stories aren't they because mm. there's so much that they're so rich with mm. with meaning so layered with meaning that people can take so many different messages from them absolutely but you know without a doubt one of the one of the key ones is is this idea of finding the balance between you know being assertive 
I guess also you could say, yeah, being assertive without needing to be aggressive. Mm. You know, establishing your boundaries clearly and realising that also by being assertive or at least being, you know, at times perhaps um, a bit more forthright in your actions, Mm. that doesn't mean that you can't also be compassionate, that you can't also be calm, you know, you can't also be understanding and listen and all these qualities that meditation can absolutely Mm. help to develop. I think the thing is as well, like a big thing along that similar along those similar lines about the misconceptions and about it maybe changing your personality. I don't think it's I don't think there is, you know, this sort of image of someone who's just very calm all the time. I think we're we're only all human at the end of the day and mm. just because, you know, you might may meditate for ten thousand hours but it doesn't mean that you still don't have the capacity to feel anger or jealousy or boredom or or any sort of maybe of the less desirable emotions in life mm. um i think the the difference is is that you have more awareness of them absolutely and you also then have greater res- sort of maturity to appropriately respond respond to mm. those emotions and you know sometimes say you've spent hours and hours behind the scenes maybe doing a presentation in your job or something and Mm. and you show it to your boss and you don't get the credit you you've deserved and it's given to someone else you know Mm. in that situation it's very appropriate to perhaps be assertive and maybe even you know express some frustration and and stand up for yourself that is perhaps the most self-compassionate thing to do but then in maybe another situation well, in quite a few situations, really, in day-to-day life, anger and, and frustration are not the appropriate responses and actually not the most effective way to to resolve things. Mm. Um, I was going to say another point, but I can't remember. I'm sure it will, sure it will come back. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, definitely. But I think that's also so just sort of slight tangent, but very much related is this, you know, I think generally with a lot of these qualities, people have a stereotype of what that would look like Mm. and with compassion a lot of the time that's perhaps stereotypically considered to be you know quite a soft caring Mm, like lovey-dovey yeah but yeah but also in a a positive way I think you know kind and 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 and, you know sort of like open arm Mm, Um, like a mother and child kind of exactly yeah and you know really you know comforting and, Mm. and being there for somebody but also actually and if this was I think something that Joseph Goldstein said who we mentioned about the last episode you know he told a really nice just very short anecdote about how um it it could also it can very much also be the case that that actually compassion can take a lot of different forms Mm. and an example being you know you may be out walking with your child you know your child might be uh going towards the edge of a cliff or something which clearly is you know not ideal yeah (laughs) to say the least you know, would be would, the consequences of which would be absolutely tragic if if an accident occurred, um, and in that situation, actually the way that compassion can take form is that you are very assertive and and very, you know, immediate in your mm. response, and your and you can be, you know, you may even need to shout or raise your voice and say, you know, no, or something. Oh God, <laughs> not allowed to do that if you meditate. <laughs> And this is it, yeah. And, you know, mm. to ensure that your child doesn't walk any closer to the edge. Mm. Because if you're not to act with the immediacy, then, of course, 
you know, the consequences could be, as I said, very nice, great. Um, so I think it's Kristen Neff who's done a lot of research on compassion. Yeah, she has. She's that. like the big dog. Yeah. Um, she, I think she talks about... Um, I don't think she's written a book, or she may be titling her next book. I can't remember. She has, she has written a book. Well, no, she has written a book, Self Compassion, but I think she's writing another one. Okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, so. I heard her mention in a podcast, and yeah. I think she was talking about calling it Fierce Compassion, mm. which I think is a nice way to encapsulate that because. Definitely, yeah. Fierce Compassion, you know. It's almost like a juxtaposition, isn't it? Or a. Um... Yeah, yeah, I. Um... Yeah, I know. I know what you mean when they when they sort of contradict each mm, other. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's a nice one to keep in mind is that fierce compassion, and sometimes that might look like the you know typical love, warmth, care, but other times, as you say, it might be actually shouting, being quite stern. Mm. In that sort of example you gave him, because in that you are caring for somebody. Exactly, the by... ultimate value is and the goal is the same. You know. Mm. Um, but I, I just remember what I was going to oh, say yeah, earlier yeah, about. Yeah. Um, the appropriateness mm. of responding and um and and it made me think of what someone once said about the Dalai Lama mm. um who is the sort of figure figurehead is that the right term yeah 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 of Tibetan well, Buddhism yeah he's one of the um he's the head of I think one of the branches isn't it or one of the yeah anyway very very senior figure in in Buddhism and you know world worldwide known known around the world isn't he mm. so, as a spiritual leader yeah exactly and he he was it was commented you know that he he still experiences all these human emotions but the difference is he just doesn't linger on them Mm. which i think is a nice way to look at it you know he can be wrapped up in in anger i think it was i think he was told about the poverty in tibet or the um destruction of the tibetan villagers homes Mm. and he was furiously angry Mm. you know and then a minute later he was he was crying with laughter yeah. um, at what someone in the audience had said. Someone cracked a joke or and something. And so I think the point is that, like, he, you know, has he's so present that the anger and hurt he felt a minute before doesn't hinder his capacity to also feel these other emotions. Absolutely. Because one of the key things in Buddhism is, is impermanence, which means that everything comes and everything goes, you know, mm. so... Everything that can arise can arise can also fall away exactly. everything that does arise will also fall away yeah and and obviously that doesn't then mean that he doesn't you know but it's a good point and this is probably slightly going off on a tangent but sam mm. harris actually who's who's written quite a lot and, and does a podcast as well on meditation amongst lots of other things he's quite a yeah, controversial yeah quite a controversial character isn't he mm. um well a but, staunch atheist so. yeah but he um and he doesn't sort of he's not quiet about it either no but he um he talked interestingly about how actually when you know when something makes you angry which inevitably it will in mm. life mm. it actually is very difficult to remain angry and you can apply this to any emotion but mm. it's actually very difficult to remain angry for only a split second of time mm-hmm. so let's say i don't know an example of um i don't know what would be a good example well, if you're driving along, maybe somebody... Classic, yeah, that's yeah, a good cuts one. Cuts you up on the road or something. Yeah, so let's say, yeah, and you're late for work, and that makes you really angry, yeah. It's so often, you know, that then the whole 
like rest of the way to work or rest of the way home will keep be you might still be bitter about that or feel really hostile or angry and about that situation you know when you get home you rant your partner about it or whatever mm. but actually as sam harris says it's you have to keep feeling and remembering that feeling of anger mm. in order to keep feeling it mm. if that makes sense mm. you have to keep calling up the feelings of anger mm. to stay angry mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually like i just find that quite interesting because it's almost you know with the dalai lama he stays so present that the next emotion is then coming in and yeah there's a there's a, there's a space to experience exactly what's coming in the next moment and sort of the anger fills you in that moment but in order to be still angry about it 10 minutes later you have to still be telling yourself the story of what mm. happened and remembering it and mm. regenerating those same feelings and it's a it's a nice thing to sort of no it's a very remember good in times of like difficulty i guess absolutely and that's of course where meditation and mindfulness can help enormously because you can step out of the storyline you know mm. and, and out of the emotional reaction mm. and just start to take this position more of ob- of the observer Mm. you know just watching and just watch it play out so mm. just start to notice more what thoughts are arising you know what the feelings are and mm. and with anger especially a really good one can be to get into the body and mm. and to feel you know really feel the sensations of the anger and that can be a great way to step out of the loop so rather than you know just being so much in your head and thinking about the instant and replaying it as you say it's mm. on a loop it's, it's then to really feel the sensations of it and, you know, you may, might notice, you know, your body really tensing up in parts or perhaps some heat or maybe a bit of a buzzing or a tingling sensation, you know, and, and that can really help to sort of break that loop. Well, it sort of takes you out of the storyline, doesn't it? Exactly. It? Even, in, even if those sensations in your body aren't necessarily pleasant because yeah. they probably won't be. Yeah, no, definitely. But just having that curiosity, it takes you out of the storyline and actually when you return to your mind, mm. you'll maybe notice more calm or maybe not, you know, but it's mm. all a, just an exploration and it, it's about finding what works for you. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that for some people this <laughs> practice might not be, be their the most, most effective thing. thing yeah. You know, for some people, you know, having a little stress ball mm. <laughs> might be. But effectively that in itself is interesting because that is sort of a similar thing. Well, you know, it's also sort of breaking that that loop, isn't it, of, mm. of just being caught in thought. Mm. Similar, similarly to how you know counting to ten mm. is substituting, it is it's focusing your mind on something, something else, else, you know, and substituting in some different thoughts. Also, another classic strategy, of course, taking some deep breaths, mm. you know, and that and that's well, well that know, has obviously a double effect because mentally it it takes you out of your mental situation and your story. Hmm. Um, like by story I mean like the mental chatter and the words and thoughts going on in the head yeah in the mind but so mentally it does that but physically the breathing also of of course physiologically can calm you down mm. and can help to allow your nervous system to rest um which can also sort of generate that relaxation mm. engaging um, the go on you no 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 I, I, what no no, no I was going to say because I was just trying to tee you up for it because i know you studied all this on oh, your gauging the, the parasympathetic oh yeah um, yeah yeah so the because you studied all of that on your um yoga, yoga teacher your... training yeah yeah so when we're all you know stressed and angry or whatever emotion it is 
you're in fight, flight or freeze, which is the sympathetic nervous system. Mm. And these are both branches of the autonomic nervous system, which mm. is all out of our unconscious control. Mm. But the only way really that you... showing off now. <laughs> well, you did, you did ask. <laughs> no, I did, absolutely. But the only way you can um, consciously sort of in, um, interfere and, and, and switch your nervous system is through your breath. So you can... Mm. Oh, well, that's absolutely probably... Th- the primary way or one of the best ways yeah there there are a few others i think that you can stimulate your well the other side is called the parasympathetic nervous system which is rest and relaxation Mm. but the main way the main sort of key to the parasympathetic is the breath Mm. and just taking long slow deep breaths maybe four or five seconds just Mm. really triggers you into that more calm space um and with the immediate that's definitely has one of the most immediate yeah i think there's a few other things like I read in uh, in the books and, and doing my training and stuff, like actually touching your lips right. or some sort of touch points on your body can mm. also help to stimulate it. That's why some people find massage very therapeutic because it can okay. work with these touch points. Or, you know... Um, acupuncture, I guess acupuncture, that's got sort of to, hasn't it? Yeah, and um, there's a... I can't remember what it's called, but it's a, a tradition in Chinese medicine. What, like cupping? Why yes, that? that similar thing. I think they're all based on these touch points and Chinese meridians and... Yes, and things yeah, like yeah. that and lines in your body they're all based on these stim- touch points to stimulate that relaxation mm. um, but the main way is the breath so you know it's not just it's not just theory like you know people just say just breathe um, it's like one of the most annoying people something say, someone can say when, someone when you're says angry it usually just winds you up more does it <laughs> just you breathe and you're like shut, shut up, up. <laughs> yeah. but it isn't you know it isn't actually theory, it is science. Yeah, um, and it does work. It actually does work. Give it a go yeah. and it does work. Nine, you know, 99 yeah. times out of 100, you will feel better. And I think the thing is, yeah, it's and about... if you don't breathe more. Exactly, and it's about getting yourself to do that because I think it's about, you know, having those tools in yourself so you don't then need someone to yes. say, just breathe. Oh, definitely. You know what you need to do to calm down. Mm. Um, and it is all a practice, you know, we're all human you know we all get angry and just because you flip your lid just because you shout at someone it doesn't make you necessarily a bad human being or a bad meditator it just also highlights perhaps where you can work on some things absolutely and i think that this is that just leads into something as well just sort of wrap up this this first misconception which is you know really just reminding people that the idea of or, or so the idea of not feeling so many different emotions or or having intense emotions just because you've been meditating for a longer period of time is is just actually not really the case it's it's mm-hmm. as you said you know with the Dalai Lama it's very much more the case that you do still feel a lot of things mm-hmm. you know and sometimes very intensely mm-hmm. but the idea is that in general you start to just move on from them much more quickly and but, I would add, sorry, go on. Oh, just to say, and they don't linger for so long. Mm. So you, you, you know, you develop that capacity to just let it, let it come, let it, f- you know, feel mm. it. Mm. It might be very intense, but then you're quite quickly able to move on. And, and really, you know, the, one of the, the real skills that you develop through meditation is this, is this ability to respond rather than react. So, you know, you can, you can just have that extra element that extra bit of spaciousness Mm. so that when when strong emotions do arise you know feelings and thoughts 
you know, rather than just reacting to them as a lot of people perhaps will do, mm. you know, without that, that meditative practice, you know, that mindfulness capacity, rather than just reacting, you're able to just have that little bit more space and then and then respond in a more hopefully more appropriate way. You know, and in a more mm. useful way that's likely to help not only yourself more but also others. You know, and And I think that um a couple of things I was gonna say was um I think well firstly what you said about feeling emotions I would actually argue that through meditation you feel your emotions even more deeply mm. because mm. you are becoming far more aware of more them. self-aware and you're far mm. more self-aware and you you really get close to anger and mm. get familiar with hate and and you you know what jealousy really feels like mm. you know and then you can it's less of a big thing then you know you can as you say learn to respond not react and i think that um i think that uh i think it's victor frankl you know his book man's search for meaning yeah yeah. who who he he has yeah he has a famous quote um i I, I probably won't be able to say it word for word but i'll paraphrase which is that um between stimulus and response there lies a space and in that space lies our freedom yeah that pretty much is word for word yeah (laughs) well pretty much yeah but that's basically the similar for respond not react because i think well that is exactly what it is yeah and i think that is a massive freedom because then you're not so pushed around by your mind and i think you once said to me hey like not like that just don't be such a slave to your thoughts Mm. and you know we are often pushed around by our minds mm. and i think through mindfulness it can shine the light of awareness on things and you mm. have that space to then be like is this how i want to respond or behave respond and also you know on a getting deep guys <laughs> like Gosh. is this how i want to live my life yeah you know because ultimately it is the little actions and the little reactions and and the little sort of moments that make that add you- up yeah, they make up your hours, which make up your days, which make up your months, which make up your life, you know, which mm. we know how quickly this year's gone. Mm. And, you know, it can just, life can pass you by. Sort of, it's going very deep now, but mm. <laughs> but I think that is, it's a nice point, And I think it's a nice feeling. Well, you would say that because you've just made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it's a nice feeling having that feeling of more freedom. Yeah, because no, definitely. you then feel like you have a choice you know you have these feelings of it's almost like you have these feelings of anger mm. but you can then choose whether or not you want to be angry that's really well put that is really well put it's like you have feelings of disgust but you choose whether or not you want to feel disgusting yeah and um, act out on them yeah um and obviously then when we have feelings of happiness we probably are going to choose to feel happy mm. um but yeah, it's a it's a real emotional maturity, I guess, that comes through practice. Absolutely, and I think in fact it was the other day I was listening to Sam Harris, um, and he was saying in a video that actually, in his view, I think, it, you know, in his view, actually, the ultimate sort of goal of meditation, because there are lots of different types of meditation, the ultimate goal of meditation, that's perhaps common to all of them, is this idea of freedom. Mm. you know and freedom mental freedom yeah yeah mental freedom and freedom from from thoughts and from from the mind in the sense of not not that you don't have a mind anymore but that you're free from as you said 
such a nice analogy of being a slave to your mind mm. and actually you then have that that spaciousness to make choices on your own terms yeah you, know, you, you become the the sort of you become the brought to mind a quote by Nelson Mandela but I can't remember what it was but mm. you become the sort of what the captain of your own ship sort of that thing. kind of thing yeah. yeah you 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 write your own story yeah. basically and you can then choose how you shape your life absolutely um, I think this will lead nicely on to I don't know if you had in mind to do this one next go on the mis- the next misconception hmm. which is that um meditation is not about stopping thoughts yeah do you think that one leads on yeah no no nicely? no definitely 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 because because absolutely this is so related to this idea of you know responding not reacting um and yeah i mean well go on you do you want to expand a bit more on it yeah i mean since you yeah because the next misconception as i said was was that people sorry just to say but people and this is probably actually the most common misconception with mm. meditation uh, and especially sort of mindfulness meditation is this idea that people say, you know, I can't meditate because I can't stop myself from thinking. I can't mm. stop thoughts. But, you know, this is it couldn't be further from the reality of what meditation is. Mm. It's just not about stopping thoughts. You know, thoughts may by themselves start to to calm and to quieten. But but stopping thoughts, in terms of that being the intention of meditation, it just couldn't be further from. And actually, it makes your life harder if you go in with that intention. Oh, 100%, yeah. And this is something that was definitely very prevalent on my first course. Um, and I think when I explained it to well, the people... Well, fir- the first course that you taught, right? You better Sorry, just, yeah, just I did. Yeah, I did a um, five-week beginner meditation course and... Um, and had sort of seven seven students and kind of was doing different practices each week but also talking about different aspects of meditation like we are now really mm. um but one of the the sort of when i said this to them that you know guys like it's not about stopping thoughts i just sort of saw a big big sigh of relief almost around mm. the room because i think people do enter meditation well but the na- nature of being human, we all have very busy minds. It's mm. just the nature of the mind, and I think that we all think. We all think it's like the brain a, thinks. Exactly, that is what the brain does. I've sort of used this analogy before, like that is kind of the, you know, that as you say, that's what the brain is meant to do. Like the stomach is there to digest, the yeah. lungs are there to breathe, the brain is there to think. Absolutely, and, and so many creations and discoveries that we have had Mm. in the world wouldn't have come about without the brain and without thoughts Mm. um but i think so then i think it's an impossible thing to sort of go in with the intention of i'm gonna stop thinking i think as you said home thoughts will start to naturally slow down and and the mind will start to quieten as a result of this practice of constantly coming back mm. as we said last time in the in the last episode mm. constantly coming back to the object of meditation in in your concentration practice in a concentration type meditation yeah yeah um and i think the big thing is that it's not about stopping thoughts it's about becoming more aware of them mm. and and Absolutely. that that is the key really and and it's always about beginning again you know just coming back every time you get distracted mm. and 
it's almost a bit like um well in buddhism they talk a lot about the monkey mind Mm. so if you think of your mind like a monkey that's sort of constantly swinging from these branches going from one thought to the next Mm. you know it's constantly restless and very restless very agitated basically just very hyper yeah Mm. (laughs) and i think the um essentially i like to see it as you know by constantly coming back to the object we're eventually just training this monkey mind to to settle in one place Mm. and and instead of sort of you know, putting the monkey in a cage and trying to get it to stay mm. there. Which to force I, it. To force it, which I think is what you end up trying to do if you try and stop thinking. Mm. We let the mind, the monkey be free. You know, we let all the thoughts come in, but we bring awareness to them and we gently invite the monkey back to the present moment, mm. to the breath or whichever the object is. Mm. And then naturally the monkey, you know, if we if we give it compassion every time it comes back, we the monkey eventually doesn't want to stray mm. anymore. It's happy staying where it is, and that's sort of how I see meditation. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Over time, it figures out what you're trying to do, essentially. And it just thinks, you know, there's no not much point in wandering. Yeah, no, no, definitely. <laughs> and, and let's let's just of, play ball. Yeah, and I can't. I I definitely um you know I've been meditating, sort of, on and off for sort of five six years probably now, as we said last time, and. I've definitely seen that evolve, but it is also a slow process and it is a practice. And I don't think you can expect to sit down and be like, right, why am I still thinking? You know, it's been a week. Mm. <laughs> because, <laughs> definitely. like, even Dalai Lama will think, you know, the goal course, is not to course. get rid of thoughts. And that's the, that's the big thing. And, that, and, and, and also just to touch upon something there as well, because... It's another thing as well with meditation is it's very much just not, you know, and it's the same with a lot of things in life. It's not a linear process. Mm. You know, just because you may have been meditating for, you know, a few months, you know, you, you may have found that actually in the second week of meditating, your mind was much more calm than it is three months down the line. And you're sort of thinking, hang on a second, am I going backwards here? Or, you know, but it's, it's very, un, you know, the, the chances are you're not. It's just that you know, there is natural variation in the way that our minds are. and you know, Yeah, that's an interesting... Po- Sorry, go on. Well, just say anything. It can be anything from... There's so many variables in the situation, you know. Mm. So, for example, you may have just had a busy day. You know, you might have had a bad mm. day. You might have had a stressful day. And, of course, your mind perhaps like to be a lot more busy in that c- circumstance, mm. you know, versus on another day when you may, may have perhaps had a really light, you know, really um, nice, calm, relaxing day. And actually mm. your mind's a lot quieter... As a result of that, you know, so... And so many factors. Yeah. But I think that's a, an interesting point that you um that you made. And something I definitely think I, that I've been aware of, mm. and maybe a few people have too, who, who have just started meditating. And I think it's something to be reassured that it's actually completely normal, is that when you start meditating, it actually might feel like you have more thoughts. And yes, you might be yeah. like, what's going on here? You know, I, I'm... I'm I feel like I'm thinking all the time now. And I think a, a lot of that is because you're bringing this awareness mm. to your mind. Mm. You suddenly then are realising just how many thoughts go through your mind Absolutely. in the day. Like, here we go, here's a, here's a fact. I think we have about 60,000 thoughts or something on average per day. Gosh, um, that's blown my mind. <laughs> well, that was the idea. <laughs> but I think that, you know, it can when you start meditating and start paying attention it can suddenly feel like I'm thinking all the time. Mm. 
No, 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 definitely. And that's, I've experienced yeah, that as well. Yeah, I think you should just be reassured that that's actually probably a good thing because it shows that you are bringing that awareness yeah. to your mind and you're doing the right thing if that's the case and just sort of just keep going and you may start to think, feel that, <laughs> think, you may start to feel that yeah. that things eventually, you know, quieten and settle. And, and it's in, Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I read a little article the other day where the title was... Um, how, why I had to go deeper into my mind to actually become more free. Mm. And, you know, so the idea being, as you say, that actually to start with, at times you can almost, you, you might almost it. wonder if you're getting more thoughts as a result mm. of doing some meditation, but chances are you're not. It's just that you're becoming more aware mm. of that chatter, Definitely. you know, which which has always been there. It's just that in the past you may not have been quite as aware in the same way. And so that that is generally a you know really positive first step towards starting to become more free mm. you know having that awareness and i think that's why we're both quite keen to go a bit deeper yeah no no definitely definitely what's um, the next one then well i was just going to say very quickly though actually because um i came up with this analogy uh a few weeks ago i think didn't i and mentioned it to you um it just sort of dawned on me one time when i was doing a bit of meditation uh, that you know, Kane quite... often has these. Well, we both do, don't we? We've had these epiphanies. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's not. That's also very common. Oh yeah, seeing the light. Yeah. <laughs> awakening. First stage of an awakening. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no. But these, no, but these they are, are nice moments, though. Oh no, absolutely. They're almost like just realizations. They are. They are, and you know, and they are sort of also. There's various different realizations, right? Sometimes they come as thoughts. Other times, as almost like a feeling mm. or a, you know. Just an understanding or, yeah. Yeah, an understanding, definitely. And, th- and this one was sort of more of an understanding. or, And it's not, it wasn't a new concept, that's the thing, you know. It was literally this idea of of, of stopping thoughts. And, you know, meditation is not about stopping thoughts. I can't remember what it um, was, so I'm, I'm intrigued. intrigued, yeah. Yeah, no, well, so, so it dawned on me that, you know, you, you know when you used to go to the, um, like the bowlplex and then you'd have the arcade area, mm. you know, or, or even just, the, you know, on the... Um, on the seafront, you know, where you've got mm. the on the pier, the arcades, and anyway, and then you have these these dance machines, you know, where you get on and and you you see the moves coming at you. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the different sort of channels, so you've got like the left, the forward, the back, I was and the always rubbish at them. And the right, yeah, no, they yeah. they were pretty tricky, weren't they? Mm. Um, and yeah, and so if you think of and 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 the the um, you know, the moves used to come down the four sort of yeah streams or whatever you had on the screen in front of you and it's quite a nice analogy actually because you can think of of meditation and mindfulness in this way so if you imagine perhaps one of the streams can be thoughts mm-hmm. you know one of the streams might be sensations uh, another one might be feelings you know and another one might be let's say sounds or something mm-hmm. yeah and and there can be and there are um lots more that you can you can consider in terms of the different streams or different objects of meditation um but it can be really helpful this analogy because if you think that actually the idea of of in a concentration type practice is you're not you're not by by focusing on one object and concentrating on one object or one of the streams it's not like all of the other streams cease to exist but what is the case is that the other streams are still there and they're still happening, but it's just that you're only choosing to focus on one of them. 
Mm. And of course, what then happens, you know, with all of us, and as you were saying with the monkey mind, is the monkey mind gets distracted and it, it, it starts to focus on on these other streams, you know, it gets a bit restless and thinks, oh, that's quite interesting, you know, what can I hear right now? Mm. And it starts to, to, to zone in on sounds and then you realize, okay, you notice that, that it's it's got distracted and then you come back to the one you're choosing to focus on. You know, and of course that's the idea of a concentration practice, just that repetition of bringing your mind back as soon as you notice it gets distracted. But yeah, I think that idea of, of, of thinking of the different different streams of objects, so, you know, thoughts, sensations feelings sounds etc etc and then realizing that you're not trying to switch off the other streams but you're just trying to focus on one of the streams you know to Mm. to the exclusion of the others Mm. but it's not like they don't then exist they just exist in the background if that makes sense rather than than the foreground so your your primary object of attention is on one of the streams the others are still happening, but you're just much less aware of them mm. until, of course, you get distracted, and then, you know, that's when you then notice you got distracted and bring it back. So, yeah, yeah. it's a nice analogy, really nice. No, thanks, and I, I, you know, I don't know if whether or not it was as clear as it perhaps, you know, I think that's probably one that would also be a lot clearer if you, could, you know, do like a quick write um, it down or diagram. Or something. Yeah, a quick yeah. diagram or a quick video. No, I right? think I think that's clear. I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm sure it will resonate with other people but I think different analogies also you know people understand things in different ways but I think that is definitely something that's I think kind of the main point is that it's almost like everything else carries on you're just shining the spotlight of attention on one thing exactly and you're choosing to do that but all these other rivers continue to flow exactly Um, absolutely absolutely yeah yeah thank Uh, you for sharing that Amber that's all right Spain yeah i mean you know so and and but as i said earlier you know chances are if you do start to practice you'll almost certainly have your own sort of little breakthrough moments or understanding a bit of an epiphany or something and just to say as well that that headspace the app we mentioned about last time they've done some really excellent videos you know sort of short videos Mm. on on some of the main have little cartoons don't they yeah and they've got their own little characters and Mm. they're really really excellent about some of the main sort of theory of meditation and and some of the key concepts so but yeah anyway so let's move on shall we to um to another misconception so uh obviously there are there are many misconceptions but these are just a few that we we thought up for discussion today so so perhaps the next one we can chat about briefly is um is this idea that actually meditation is not something which is in and of itself a religious practice mm-hmm. um, I mean there are religions although uh, so for example Buddhism may not n- n- not everybody might necessarily think of it as a religion they may consider it more to be a philosophy but some people would say that Buddhism is a religion and, and of course meditation is such an integral part of Buddhism but meditation itself you do not need to be religious to mm. practice mm. meditation. So, um, yeah, have you got any thoughts on that is that come to mind? Or? Yeah, I think... Um, I think... So, yeah, like you said about Buddhism, to many people, Buddhism is a religion, and, and, and that's, yeah, like, that's fine. Um, in sort of my opinion, whether it is or it isn't doesn't sort of affect my own practice. Mm. I think the Buddha was a man, 
you know, the 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 Buddha is not. He was immortal. He's immortal, so, so so he's not considered a god. Mm. Um, um, so I sort of see Buddhism, yes, as a religion, but also as a sort of a, a way of life, a mm. philosophy. Mm. Um, but I don't see it as something in terms of of, of worshiping a god. Whether whether you would maybe, some Buddhists I'm sure would would say that they worship Buddha. Mm. Um, but as with all religions, you know, it's there's so many different sub branches and and different and different beliefs within the, within a single religion mm. that it's very much a personal sort of um, personal preference and and sort of life thing, isn't it? Mm. To do with the each individual. But I think the nice thing about meditation is whether you, whether you are religious, whether you believe in God, whether you don't believe in God, whether you follow, follow Buddhism, Buddhism or, whether you follow not. any religion, Christianity, you know, anything, mm. um, you, you can still meditate. And as we said earlier, Sam Harris, who's a, a an atheist, um, very strongly Staunch in atheist. his opinion of mm. that, yeah. And he's also a meditation teacher mm. and a massive advocate for mindfulness and meditation. Absolutely. Um, Written books on it and he's got his own app. And... Exactly. Um, and so I think like sort of where that misconception probably comes from is because, yes, meditation does originate from mainly Buddhism. Mm. Um, other religions do have meditation in their roots, but... Mm. Medi- um, Buddhism is probably one of the most well known. Yeah, and and the Buddha, you know, he taught meditation as well mm. as the philosophies and the and the Dharma. Mm. But um, and Dharma is is sort of the. Hi everyone, uh, we are back for episode two. Uh, not quite week two because I think it was less than a week when we did the last when one. Was it? Uh, I think it was over the weekend, wasn't it? Actually, in fact, it might it, no, it might be coming up to a week. I think it's towards the end of last week. Anyhow. I don't even know what day of the week we are. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday yeah. today, yeah. Our listeners can see on the uh, time and date stamp. But, um, yeah, so last week we primarily talked about, or well, one of the things we talked about was what is meditation. So we thought that this week we could focus a bit more on what meditation is not or some of the common misconceptions about meditation. So... Uh, we also thought we'd vary it up a little bit this week and kick it off by starting with a little koan, which I think is, um, is it Sanskrit? Koan, I think it's is Sanskrit. It? It's like a story, essentially. Almost like, you know, you had those like fables. Yeah, yeah, like or parable, like isn't it? Or Parable, yeah. yeah. Or, I'm not sure which. I think both of them, where they have a moral and a meaning. Exactly. So it's it's like a sort of more of an Eastern... Um, <laughs> philosophy sort of word for a for a short story with with uh with meaning and yeah so Izzy's going to read a a, a koan mm-hmm. to start with but just to give a very quick heads up on um on the first sort of topic of what well, f- the first misconception which is related to this koan is this is the idea of being um becoming completely passive so if you if you practice meditation and mindfulness, the idea that all of a sudden you need to then essentially just let everything go and, and just almost become completely passive and not interact with the world anymore, um, maybe at all, uh, is, you know, some people might even think of that being the, the extreme end of the misconception. 
So um, anyway, let's let's listen to the Cohen and then we can discuss more after. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's called the Sage and the Snake. Snakes are both respected and feared in India. According to many stereotypes, India is a land whose economy runs on income from the Taj Mahal, Goa and snake charmers. Of course, that's not true, but you cannot separate snakes and Indian culture. They are part of our landscape. Thousands of years ago, a group of villagers approached a saintly man who was meditating inside a cave in a mountain. Years of meditation had given him the wisdom to solve any problem that came his way. Panting, the villagers approached him, and with their voices choking with fear, one of them complained, O revered one, please help us. There is a large and venomous snake that is terrorising the village. The sage did not respond. He was still in deep meditation. The villagers looked at each other and then pushed the unofficial spokesman to speak again. You can hear the hiss of the snake for miles around. He mercilessly bites anyone on his path, regardless of whether or not he is threatened. As a consequence of this, we are all fearful to venture out in the fields by ourselves, which has led to our crops running dry. The snake's venom is not the only thing that is killing us off one by one. We are dying of starvation too. We beg of you to help us. The saint was naturally compassionate. Most genuine spiritual-minded people are. Understanding the gravity of the situation, he got up from his straw mat and looked at the villagers. Let's search for that snake, he said. The villagers cheered, full of hope, as a band of them now trailed behind the saint in search of their hissing enemy. As they approached the dusty ghost land that was once their home, the bewitching sound of the snake echoed from the other side of the village. It approached the band of villagers with great speed, paying no regard to their pitchforks or torches of fire. The villagers fled for their lives, but the saint stood still, undeterred by the hooded creature that came to attack him. The snake's slithering and undulating green and black scales shimmered majestically in the sunlight. What beauty, the saint thought. Being confused since the saint was not fleeting like the rest of its prey, the snake stopped and stared at him. Come forth, O magnificent one, the saint shouted out. The snake, who had never been treated with such kindness before, was mesmerised by these five words. The warmth of the saint's words replaced the warmth of the blazing fire it was used to. The snake lost all its ferocity, glided towards the saint and coiled up meekly by his feet in obeisance. The villagers, some of them hiding in the trees and some of them on the other side of the fields, couldn't hear the conversation. They looked on from a distance, astounded by what they were seeing. I am stunned by your beauty, the saint said to the snake, as if they were old friends. But but why do you haunt the villagers as you do? The snake lowered its hood. Leave your destructive ways and do not terrorise the poor villagers needlessly. Stop biting them. They are no match for you. There is plenty for you to eat in the forest. The snake bowed to the saint and resolved to leave the villagers alone. It too was stunned by the grace and gravity that the saint commanded. Anyone can start a new life by making new vows. The snake had done so too. It turned a new leaf and scrupulously kept its promise to begin a new life of innocence without attempting to harm anyone. From that day the villagers became elated, their crop yield doubled, their cattle grazed without agitation and their children played games in the forest. The saint returned to his cave to continue his journey inward. A happy story? Not yet. Several months later the saint came down from the mountain to beg for just enough food from the villagers to keep himself alive. As he travelled to the village he saw the same snake, 
coiled up near the root of a tree, lying mangled, practically dead. Its scales had fallen off. It looked emaciated and injured, with sores all over its body. "'My dear friend, what happened to you?' the saint inquired with affection. "'This is the fruit of being good,' the snake replied. Although its venom had dried up, the snake spoke with bitterness. "'I obeyed you. I gave up my tormenting ways. I left the villagers alone and stopped attacking them. But see what has happened to me. Everyone pelts me with stones.' beats me with sticks, and even the children tease me and drag me mercilessly by my tail. I am now a laughing stock. However, I have kept my promise to you. The saint smiled and said, O snake, you have done what I have asked, but you have not fully understood my direction. I told you not to bite them, but I said nothing about stopping your ferocious hiss that could deter people for miles on end. The snake uncoiled itself and understood what it had to do. The villagers trembled as the hissing sound returned to the area like a bad dream. Both the villagers and the snake lived safely from then on. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's nice. Just drifting off a bit, I think. Oh. No, okay. Um, no, it's really nice. Thanks for reading that. Um, and yeah, no, it's 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 really it's a really great little little short story because it I mean it has loads of meaning. In fact, I, as I was thinking about it. While you're reading, there's probably various different take-home messages you can take. So, mm. for example, one of them also would be when the saint actually approached the snake, and you know met his before he was um, had made the vow to, to change. You know, he met his ferocity with compassion, and actually mm. through that compassion, it then really surprised the snake and 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 turned him um, to reconsider the way he was acting. Mm. You know, so one of the things being having a really compassionate approach towards aggressive people or people who who may be struggling can, of course, be so transformative. Um, and in fact, often, because, of course, a lot of the time people who are aggressive, it, it's it's originating from fear. So, you know, they need that or that they that the, that compassionate touch can actually help to really transform their fear and help them to feel more safe and in turn mm. you know have have positive effects um but yeah but then the the other one of the other key messages from the koan is is this idea of really str- trying to find the balance because of course the saint said to the snake that you know the way he was behaving wasn't helpful for the villagers and you know and and also for himself and so he vowed to then to to be a lot more um respectful and and calm and 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 loving and caring but in doing so he actually you know as the saint said misinterpreted what he had asked of him because he was not finding the balance of being assertive but also you know reasonable or or not scriptures but the teachings Mm. of the buddha and the way of living Mm. um and and so, yeah, meditation definitely has its roots in Buddhism, but it, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to be a Buddhist. And I think the nice thing that you say, Home, is that you don't have to believe anything to meditate. Hmm. So you don't... Well, it's not, well, it's not what I said, is it? It's, the, it's oh, what the sorry. Buddha... <laughs> I is mean, I, the... I've oh. said it, but it's what the Buddha originally... Oh, um, okay. Himself <laughs> Claiming your quote, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> 
I mean, uh, yeah, you you may consider me to be your no, Buddhist, but I think but... I interpreted that more in terms of because I I think the Buddha said that didn't he in terms of like, don't believe me, hmm. try it for yourself. Yeah, he he very much yeah said don't you know, so when he was teaching people, he said you know don't believe what I say, mm. see for yourself. Although the you know that sort of idea. And yeah, try it yourself, and then you will experience what I'm experiencing but I think Mm. the thing I was also saying in terms of belief is that you don't have to believe anything in terms of anything other than what is currently in your mind and in your body and in this world Mm. so you don't have to believe in a supernatural or an immortal or or a deity deity or a scripture or Mm. you don't necessarily have to worship anything like you can just work with what is here and now and I think it I think it strips meditation back to really its sort of core in how i see it essentially hmm. as a form of mind training absolutely and yeah, attention yeah. training or even just attention training if you want to yeah i mean obviously or... there's other there's other qualities to it hmm. as we mentioned last week like with compassion and, and different but i think it it really is just a a, a mind training yeah hmm. no absolutely <laughs> um, and i and i think that and and actually when you so when you talk about it like that couple of things to say well firstly um John Kabat-Zinn who who is um sort of known as one of the the pioneers of 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 uh, secularizing is that a word or secularization secularization or yeah or bringing meditation to the west more yeah and essentially making it much more accessible to to the lay person to to everybody mm. you know via books and 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 teaching himself in person and teaching others to then teach others and and uh yeah and he and he developed um he developed very f- in within meditation circles famously the mbsr course so mindfulness based stress reduction um which is now taught in so many different institutions and well not institutions but you know um organizations and groups mm. and teachers who who follow this this uh sort of manual this this way of teaching um and I think he came up with the idea actually I think on a on a meditation retreat himself. So interestingly what we were saying about having, you know, little moments of epiphany or understanding earlier, this was mm. one of his moments of sort of epiphany. Um and yeah, and he's he's absolutely been, you know, such an enormous contributor to the field, invaluable mm. with what he's given to to the field of mindfulness and meditation and, and bringing it to the West. And he essentially, what he did was he, he, he just stripped it back of all of any sort of um, more Buddhist connotations or or connections. And he essentially said, look, this is just, if you really simplify it and take its essence, you know, without losing its essence, but take its essence, it is it is a form of mind training. It's a form of attention training and, mm. and you know, a different way of relating to um our experience of being human mm. you know and, and and what that and what comes with that so things, i think he was actually a, a scientist he was a, a yeah, biologist he I think, was yeah he, he was molecular a molecular biologist you're absolutely right i think yeah, yeah and he and he had a phd i think and mm. and so that just shows you know how it's and maybe we can talk about this another week but yeah. there has been a lot of scientific evidence to show that meditation actually works like absolutely. it is a real thing that can you know because the brain is plastic and can change through neuroplasticity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
meditation is something that can contribute to that and and brain scans have shown it so it isn't just a you know spiritual hippie practice mm. it is actually grounded in science <laughs> absolutely and and his mbsr courses were you know sort of at the beginning of that what's Research, now yeah. yeah what's now grown into a, into a very well established field actually of literature within science mm. but but the um yeah the the focus on um understanding how meditation is actually changing the brain and you know and, and how it's improving people's well-being because it's been known of course for thousands of years that it does mm. and it can be so beneficial and and positive and helpful for so many people but but to now really see much more tangible evidence i think is is also um inspiring you know enormous numbers mm. of people to get involved in it isn't it because in the West, we do operate with quite a scientific model. Mm. That's what I was just going to say. I think in our society now, we tend to need, you know, evidence and research papers and kind of proof, if yeah. you like, that this thing works with anything, really, before mm. we then treat it as a legitimate sort of reason to start, you know? Mm. Mm. We have to be like, okay, you need to prove to me that it works before I give it a go. Mm. Whereas maybe previously or maybe in different cultures, perhaps in the East, there was maybe far more um, acceptance of just trying these things, you know, mm. based on other people's experiences. experiences. And also when it was passed down, I guess, through a lineage, right? Or, you know, if yeah, and families and cultures, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's great now that we have the research behind it because... If if someone does come to you and says, you know, well, they express some doubt towards the practice, mm. not only can you sort of say, well, this is what it's done for me in my life, mm. um, but if you if that still leaves you uncertain, I can, you know, send you some lovely papers yeah. to read about it, but also just... And I you think know, at that point they'll just say, I'll take your word yeah, for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think if you just type into Google, like, images, you know, meditation brain scans, you... Mm. You don't have to, in, I don't know how to interpret brain scans, but, mm, you know, you don't have to, to be able to see the differences um, that these studies have shown. No, absolutely. And mm. I think that, that for the modern sceptic or mm. you know, for the, the sceptical Westerner amongst us, it is without a doubt providing a lot more concrete mm. evidence, you know, or, or much hard, much more hard evidence to really... Mm. Um, well, it's not even really a debate so much. Exactly, you know, it, yeah. It, it's, it's just really putting it on the map as something that is absolutely a very mm. useful and viable skill for a lot of people. Mm. So, no, 100%. Um, let's have a quick look. So, yeah, no, I think that was, that was, that was most of the things we sort of considered for that.